Shall we open our Bibles to the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, and let's read the first ten verses. Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things which pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Father, for your words. Your words of life. Your words that give us a hope and a future, Lord Father. And Father God, we know, Lord, that in your presence is our being, Lord Father. Father God, we surrender this time into your hands, Lord Father. That you will speak to every one of us, Lord Father. That you will give us ears that are attentive and minds that are prepared to receive your word, Lord Father. And Father God, as you minister unto us, to every one of us in this hall this day, Lord Father, I pray, Lord, that you will be a change-making God in our lives. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if we go back to this passage, I'm just going to focus on one verse, one word, and then we'll move on. Verse 8 tells us that, For if these things are yours, so we need to know what these things are. For if these things are yours and abound, that means they are there in plenty, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I will be fruitful and our fruit will abound if we have certain things or if we practice certain things. But what are these certain things? And that's given actually from verse 5. But I'm just going to focus on one. And the first thing that we find in verse 5 is this. For also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So the first thing we need to have is faith. Faith. And on top of this, you add other things. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is practically impossible to live in this world. A world that is so calamitous and chaotic. What's my hope? My hope is only God. And if I don't trust this God, I have no future. Whether it is going to be perseverance or brotherly kindness or any of the other things that are mentioned beyond this. It starts with faith. So faith is really the prerequisite to bearing fruit in God's kingdom. Our very lives actually depend on whether we have faith or we don't have faith. 
Now, if I simply ask the question, do you have faith? Most of you are going to say yes. But that faith often gets tested. And that's what we're going to be looking at sometime during the next two hours or so. Now, seven years back, on the 29th of July, 2011, I shared a message with you. I'm not going to ask you for the title. I'll tell you what it is. It was called, A Forgotten Commandment Obedience. A Forgotten Commandment Obedience. Now, today, almost seven years later, two days short of being seven years, I'm going to talk to you of another forgotten commandment, faithfulness. That's what we are going to focus on today. And so the title of today's message simply is this, Another Forgotten Commandment Faithfulness. There will come a day sometime in the future when each of us shall stand before God the Father in his throne room. Now what will he say to us? What are the words you would like to hear? Is it going to be well done, good and faithful servant or is it going to be I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness one of these things is what we are going to hear ask yourself this afternoon this question what is it that you are going to hear now none of us are immortal beings we are mortal. And there comes a point of time when we have to leave this tent and move on. What are you going to hear? What are the words that you would be looking for forming in the mouth of God? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I would like to hear. I dread to think that I, what would happen if you hear, I never knew you. Go away. Get away from me. I don't even want to think about it. I want to make sure that whatever I say, whatever I do, whatever I think, the only thing that God can say to me is, well done good and faithful servant. And as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of some of the songs we often sing. Now let me give you some examples. Now I am not going to sing. I assure you that. Okay? But I'm just going to tell you of some of the songs that we normally sing. What a faithful God have I. Or another one. Faithful one, so unchanging. Or another one. Great is thy faithfulness. The list could go on and on and on. I did a web search. And in less than 27 seconds, I found that there are over 3,200 songs written about the faithfulness of God. Okay, it just pops up. More than 3,200 songs written about the faithfulness of God. And I'm only talking about Christian songs. Sadly, there aren't many songs about the faithfulness of man. The closest song I came to when I looked for faithfulness of man was Okamali Faithful. And that set me thinking, are we a tremendously unfaithful people, worshipping a tremendously faithful God? We need to ask ourselves that question. Why don't we sing a song about our faithfulness to God? Because we aren't. 
Why is it so easy to sing songs about the faithfulness of God? Because He is. Simple. So, you know, that puts a question mark onto every one of us. If I can't sing or talk about how faithful I am, then what about adding virtue to faithfulness and perseverance and patience and long-suffering and uh, kindness and brotherly love? Where do all those things come in? I've failed at the foundation level. Why do we need to talk of brotherly love? I haven't got to faith yet. I've already fallen there. So we need to ask ourselves that question. Have we missed the bus somewhere? Have we lost the message somehow, somewhere? And in fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, please open it. Basic, foundational facts. We learn this in Sunday school or Friday school. I don't even know whether it's taught these days in Sunday school and Friday school. And then we forget about it. Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments. The first instruction, the first direction, the first law of God. And you see, the first two of the Ten Commandments that God gave to people deals directly with our being faithful to God. Let me read it out to you. And I'm reading a paraphrased version of the NIV. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God expects you and me to be faithful. He demands that we be faithful to Him and to Him alone. We cannot afford to be faithful to anyone or anything. Twenty two thousand and one, when we came here, my family and I were traveling in a in a van. Uh, there was another uh, lady with us. She's also come. We were we were trying to get our papers signed uh, into the Ministry of Health. There was another lady also had come, and she was to be posted somewhere else. And the point that she had was, how can I live in that place without a television? That's what she wanted. Her whole life revolved around a television. Now, if you do an inventory of your own life yesterday, how many times did you keep down your cell phone? I'm not even asking how many times you picked it up. Because the cell phone is always in our hands. It's an extension of our fingers. So I'm only asking you, how many times did you put it down? If you really do an inventory, that has become Goddess Samsung, or Goddess iPhone, or Goddess whatever it is. But God says, you shall have no other God other than me. That means in every situation, we just need to turn to God, trust God and God alone. Our being has got to revolve around God. It's not got to be around something else or somebody else. Can we say that for ourselves? That my, my life really revolves around God. Let me tell you a story about the evangelist, the great evangelist to China named Hudson Taylor. It was in the, 19, sorry, in the 1850s and Hudson Taylor was to speak at a meeting in Birmingham in England. It was a very stormy night with heavy rains and strong winds. 
the host and hostess with whom Hudson Taylor was staying suggested that he cancel his meeting because it was doubtful if anyone would be able to come in this heavy storm for that meeting. But Hudson Taylor insisted that he would go and he would preach if it was only to the watchman of that building. And so he went. There were only 12 people there that night. It was a very stormy night. And there were only 12 people there that night. But Hudson Taylor preached his fiery message to those 12 people. At the end of his message, all 12 of them gave their life to Christ. Six of them went on to become missionaries into Asia and Africa. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if Hudson Taylor was not faithful to his call? His call was to go and preach. The environment was stormy. It was not comfortable to, 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 to travel out in the, in, the, in the rains. Remember, there were no protected cars at that time to take him. He had to go either on a horse or an open carriage. He was drenching wet by the time he reached that place where he had to share the word of God. And yet he did it. That's faithfulness. He was faithful to the call of God upon his life. You see, Hudson Taylor was faithful in what he was called to do. God did the rest. Imagine if Hudson Taylor had not gone. Twelve lost souls. Six less missionaries. And we don't know how many people those six missionaries touched. Today, you and I are called to be faithful. In a world that is faithless, in a world that does not put premium on faith, you and I are called to be faithful people. Mother Teresa was once asked whether she was successful or not with the work she was doing in the slums of Calcutta. Her answer was this. I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. Now, almost all of us here are chasing success. I am. Put your, heart, put your hand on your heart and tell us that you are not chasing success. Every one of us here is chasing success. That's what we have come for. Name and fame. But you are not called to be successful. You are called to be faithful. That's important. That's important. Now what I've realized is this. Success is like the horizon. You go after it. It keeps going away. You never reach it. You never catch success. It's always moving. Because when, however fast you go towards the horizon, the horizon is moving equally fast away from you. Don't chase success. Turn to God instead. And when you chase God, everything that you chased before and have turned your back to will now chase you. The money that you want, the success that you want, the name that you want, everything will come if you just chase God. Be faithful to God. Now this afternoon, we are going to look at a few examples from the Bible. Men and women who demonstrated faithfulness irrespective of circumstances or situation and I am not using Hebrews 11. Okay, that's the standard chapter for men and women of faith, but I'm not using that. Okay, there are many people we could look to as examples. There are many men and women of faith in the Word of God. However, I have specifically chosen five people from the Bible 
and depending on time, we may take them or we may not, all of them young. And I have chosen these young people because we have many young people in our midst today. Young people, I want you to know that faithfulness has nothing to do with age. It is a choice you make in obedience to the command of God. Do you want to be faithful or not? It's got nothing to do with circumstances around you. It's got nothing to do with retirement and then I will be faithful. It's a choice you have to choose. It's a choice you have to make. Do you choose to be faithful all the time? Or you choose not to be faithful? You can't be faithful some of the time. It's an all or none law. This is the physics law, all or none law. You are either faithful completely or you are not faithful. Full stop. Young people, don't think that you have to be an old man or an old woman before you demonstrate your faithfulness to God. And to the not so old people, sorry, not so young people, okay, that means the rest of us, this applies just as much to you and to me. Don't think that, okay, I'm going to relax, this message is for the youngsters, I don't belong in that category, so I don't have to listen. Sorry, this is for you also and this is more so for you. Okay? So let's move on. Number one, Ruth. Let's open our Bibles to Ruth chapter one. Joshua judges Ruth. Old Testament, by the way. It's not a gospel. Okay, number one, Ruth. Ruth chapter one. And I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. Very well known verses. I'm just going to read it. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will, be, will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ten years earlier, Ruth had made a commitment to her husband, Mahlon, that she would be his wife, and that she would be committed to his family. Mahlon died. And Ruth remained faithful to her commitment. That was a commitment she took ten years back. Because the culture of the land demanded that when the woman marries, she takes over everything with her husband. She doesn't go back to her house. And so she is committed to being everything that a husband wants her to be and to do everything that a husband wants her to do. Ruth took this commitment. And she lived with her husband for ten years. Now Ruth could have done what her sister-in-law Orpah did. And that was to return to her people and to her father's house. Now since her husband had died, had died, and she was barren at that time, it would not have been wrong. That was the practice in that land. It would not have been wrong for her to go back to her, to her home, to her people, to her folk. But Ruth was a woman of character. She had given her word and she was going to live by it. Her faithfulness did not go unnoticed. She stuck to her mother-in-law. Can you imagine her situation? Young woman, married, barren, a bitter mother-in-law, no husband, no future to look to. She goes with the mother-in-law. She 
She was faithful. She said, that's the word I gave. I'm not going to break my word. It doesn't matter how bitter in love, sorry, bitter, how bitter my mother-in-law is. Remember, her mother-in-law had changed her name to Mara, which means bitter. Okay, and she was probably caustic in everything that she said, because she had suffered a lot. But Ruth said, no, I'm going to stick with this lady. That's what I've committed to, and that's what I'm going to do. Where was food going to come from? I don't know. Was there a future in this land that she was going to? New people, strange people, new customs? Did she do anything? She said, no, I don't know. But I'm going because I'm faithful to the word I gave. I said it, I'm going to do it. And so she went. But her faithfulness did not go unnoticed. Even when she was in desperate difficulties, there was one man who saw her and saw her faithfulness. Turn to Ruth chapter 2 and we'll read verses 10 to 12. Ruth chapter 2 verses 10 to 12. And this is now a conversation between Ruth and Boaz. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and you have come to a people whom you did not know before. That was reported. That was noticed. Her faithfulness was noticed. She did not go and tom-tom uh, uh, her faithfulness. She did not create a portfolio, which is what we are all asked to do now. Create a portfolio. Okay, uh, maybe about ten years back, our institute went on the sudden drive that everybody has to create a portfolio. Now, I didn't know what a portfolio was. So I went, I asked them, I said, can you please explain to me what this portfolio is? They said, no, you get a file. Okay, it's not a problem, I got a file. What do I put in that file? Put something about yourself. Hello? What have I got to put about myself? Put all the good things about yourself. All that you do. Your teaching style. Your uh, interaction with students. Take some videos. Take some photographs. Take some, if, you, if you're speaking at some place and it comes out in the newspaper, take a cutting of that and put it. So I said, what am I supposed to advertise myself? They said, yes, that's a portfolio. I said, sorry, I don't come from that generation. I don't know how to create a portfolio. They said, no, compulsory. Mandatory. So I said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Okay, so I took a portfolio. I mean, I took a file uh, with a plastic wrapper around it. And I took six photographs of mine. From the time I came here till that present moment. And I stuck it up on the front page. And I said, portfolio, Dr. Leslie White." And then they asked us, so have you got your, have, I mean, we were asked as staff, have you got your portfolios ready? And I said, yep, here's mine. I haven't got anything inside yet. Okay, I said, I'm just starting, but here's mine. They said, what are those photographs? I said, well, when I came here, I had a lot of hair. <laughs> okay, now, at this point of time, now this is a few years back, I've got very little hair. Okay, so I'm just showing you the change in me. Is that part of portfolio? You want me to advertise myself. I am advertising myself that in this job you lose hair. Okay. That was the end of the portfolio for me. They said, this guy is an incorrigible fellow. We can't send him up because we need him to do some teaching. I said, fine. I still have that one huh, with me. If you want to see it, come. Because I sometimes look at it and see how much hair I had. So, you see, Ruth did not have to advertise herself. She did not have to talk of her faithfulness. You and I should not be talking about how faithful I am. If you start talking about how faithful you are, you are not faithful. 
If you talk about how beautiful you are, you are not beautiful. If you talk about how rich you are, you are not rich. Simple answer. Ruth did not talk about how faithful she was. She just did what she had to do. Which was, she was faithful to her mother-in-law. And that did not go unnoticed. There was this one man, Boaz, who saw that. And in course of time, Ruth becomes the wife of Boaz. In verse 12, we have something very, very interesting. Boaz says this, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Remember, Ruth is a stranger. But Boaz says, what you are doing, I can't repay you for this. No man can do it. But let the Lord repay you for your faithfulness to your husband and your mother-in-law. And as a result of that, you will get the refuge that you want as you stand, as you have taken refuge under the, under the Lord. This is what Boaz tells us. You see, Ruth's faithfulness brought her into the protective presence of God. Do you feel threatened? Be faithful to God. Because then you will come under God's protective presence. And when you are under God's protective presence, nothing, nobody can actually touch you. Who dare raise the hand against God? Number two, Daniel. Turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And I'll read to you verses 1 to 9. Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 to 9. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel, was 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. That's an important point. We'll come to that later. But verse 8 is key here. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. A prisoner, a young man, served with delicacies, served with the best, which he would not have outside. And yet he says, no, I'm not going to touch this. I am not going to touch this. Because these belong to a pagan king. In a foreign land, Daniel and his friends were chosen to receive the best of everything. 
They were to be favored. But yet, Daniel says, I shall not be defiled. It's not easy to stand against people of authority. But Daniel, a young man, did just that. Even though he was young, he applied wisdom in his day-to-day living. <clears throat> he had learned from childhood, because Jews teach their children. Deuteronomy 6 is about teaching your children while standing, while sleeping, while sitting, while waking, while eating, while everything, teach your children. Okay. So that's what the Jews do. So Daniel has already been trained in the values of what the Jews believed in. And now he's a prisoner here. And he says, no, I'm not going to forget that. I am going to be faithful to those teachings. What I have learned from my father and my mother and the elders, I am going to be faithful to that because that was taken from the word of God. And I am not going to defile myself with everything that looks nice. But you see, Daniel was a man of wisdom, a young man of wisdom. And what was the wisdom he applied at this point? When he was told that he had to eat all these things and live and then, you know, uh, put on weight and whatever, uh, he said, listen, can I please have a discussion with you? He didn't throw a tantrum. He didn't raise his voice or scream or shout or go on some hunger fast or some such thing. But instead, he cultivated a friendship with the chief commandant, commandment, commandant, okay, or the eunuch, and logically reasoned out things with him. He said, listen, can we just work out something? Okay. I, I, I just don't want to eat all these things. Commandant says, no, 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 you better eat this one, otherwise my neck is at stake. You lose uh, 100 grams and the king is going to cut off my neck. Okay, that's okay. Nothing is going to happen. Just give us a short time. Test us out. Test us out for a short period. Not just me, but my three friends also. Test us out. Okay. And then I learned something very interesting. It's this. Um, it's, it's, it's off our topic, but let me bring it to you. So, uh, verse 16. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and wine that they, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So they had vegetables for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then verse 19. Then the king interviewed them and among all of these people there was none like Daniel, etc., etc. It goes on. Daniel did not lose weight. So eating vegetables does not make you lose weight. Okay, this is very important to me because I don't like vegetables. Okay. I'm a carnivore. And so when I read it, I said, wow, this is great. Wisdom of Daniel has come to me today. Okay, I tell my wife, I don't want beans on the table. I don't want the cabbage on the table. Give me chicken, meat, buffalo, camel, Okay. I'm telling you right I'm telling you right in front of you. Okay. So you see, Daniel had this understanding and this wisdom by which he could talk to people, he could convince people, and yet be faithful to his God. So what's the message for us in that? Daniel's faithfulness still brought him divine knowledge, skills and understanding. Because we know that. This was the way he lived at the beginning. And yet it was only this Daniel, this vegetable-eating Daniel, who could interpret the dreams of the king. It was this Daniel who was able to say the right things to the king. He had the wisdom. He had the wisdom. He had the knowledge. He had the skill of dream interpretation. Now where did he get all of this? It was his faithfulness. He turned to God every day, irrespective of what happened outside. He opened his windows and at the appointed time every day, he turned to God. It doesn't matter whether the big boss is on the television or not. 
he turned to God. You see, that is faithfulness. And because of Daniel's faithfulness, what did he have? He had godly knowledge, divine knowledge, skills, and understanding. And that is what you and I can have if we are just faithful, if we choose to be faithful. Now, very often, when things don't work out the way we want things to work out, we rave and we rant about it. But can we sit down and logically discuss our situation? Can we just take a step back and say, let me take a deep breath. Why am I screaming? Why am I shouting? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to discuss this with? Let me work at it logically. I have a God. I trust God. My faith in God should not waver. My faith in God should not depend on whether my prayers are answered the way I want them answered or not. If you are a child of God, you just have faith in God. Whatever is the answer you get, that is the best answer for you. That's faith. I had to take a step back three weeks, take a step back about three weeks back. Because things were not going the way I wanted them to go. And I was a bit frustrated. And I was going to say the wrong things. I won't tell you what I was going to say. But I was going to say the wrong things. And I said, no, 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 no. Because I was reminded when I was going to say the wrong things, I was reminded of three things. And who reminded me this? God. Okay? Number one. There was a message which Brother Francis preached from here, which was, are you on the same page as God? So I said, oh, am I on the same page as God? Or do I want God to be on my page? Little later, victory night. I was not here for the whole victory night, but I was here till 9 p.m. Brother Claudio was uh, preaching, and he comes up here and he says, are your plans in alignment with God's plans? Ooh, um, are my plans in alignment with God's plans or am I expecting that God's plans are in alignment with my plans? And then in between these two, we had our council meeting and I was led to speak on the same thing. Are you on the same page as God? Are we on the same page as God? If we as leaders, this is what I said in the council, if we as leaders are not on the same page as God, how do we expect our people to be on the same page as God? I said, we need to look at ourselves. If we are not on the same page, do we have the right, do we have the authority to stand at this pulpit and tell people, get on the right side of God. Get on the same page as God. When I am not. So these three things spoke to me that, that uh, three weeks back. And then I took a step back and I said, God, forgive me. But I'm just going to put my plans right there. Okay, I'm not even going to talk about them. You know the situation, take over. Next week, things started happening. I'm not saying next day. Next week, things started happening. And today, everything is fine and well. I could have raved, I could have ranted, I could have called that, I could have said that, uh, you know, God doesn't answer prayers all the time. Why doesn't he answer my prayers? After all, I'm serving in the church. It's got nothing to do with that. Faith has got nothing to do with that. My service to the church has got nothing to do with my faith. There are many people serving in church who have no faith at all. Okay, and there are many people sitting out who have much more faith, much more consistent faith than people who stand at the pulpit. So it's an individual thing, but we've got to have it. And that's what Daniel had. And the wisdom that comes when you have faith in God is unbeatable because it's God who tells you what to do. It's God, it's God who gives you the means to do things. It's God who gives you the skills to do certain things and an understanding of why and how to do that. Number three. Esther. I'll probably stop with Esther, but let's take Esther anyway. Now this... The story of Esther is an absolutely interesting contrast to that of Daniel. She was a young woman, 
Jewish by birth, who grew up in the midst of pagan worships. In fact, her name Esther is not even Jewish. Her original given Jewish name is Hadassah. It's there in Esther chapter 2 verse 7. Her name is Hadassah. Esther is a name of Persian origin, not Jewish origin. And it possibly originates from the pagan goddess of love, fertility and beauty named Ishtar. Okay, that's where Esther comes from. Now here's this girl who grows up in that environment. She grows up in a purely pagan environment. And she was living with her uncle, Mordecai, because her father and mother had died. And he was taking care of her. And as every other scheming Jew, he slowly moved her into the palace. There came a time when Queen Vashti upset the king, King Ahasuerus. Vashti was thrown out. And so now people started looking around uh, who's going to be with, with, the queen, with the king, who's going to be our next queen. And so there were a whole variety of women who were brought in. And at one point, so Mordecai brought this beautiful young lady. And then she was given the best of everything. Daniel said, I don't want anything. Esther took everything. She had the best of food. She had the best of beauty treatments. She was treated for six months. Spa treatments, uh, beauty saloon. Uh, what all do you do? I don't know. Plucking of ear brows or uh, whatever. Eyebrows. Plucking out hair out of the ear. Whatever. Okay. Everything was done. She was made more beautiful than what she already was. Remember, she said, her name is Esther, which is from Ishtar, which is goddess of beauty. So Esther was already a very beautiful young lady. And she was made more beautiful. And then she was brought to the king. And the king's uh, rule was that he would meet a woman and next day morning she would go to the second palace. Okay, I'm not telling you anything strange because you read Esther, it's all there. Okay. She would go to the second palace. And she would not have an opportunity to meet the king again unless the king called for her. Okay, but it happened to be that in the case of Esther, the king was so mesmerized that he had her with her all the time, till in due course of time, she became Queen Esther. And then she was there. Did she know anything about God? Did she practice her faith? There is nothing in Esther about God. But just because God is not mentioned in the book of Esther does not mean God is not there in Esther. It simply means that God is working in the background. God was bringing Esther into a position where she needed to be. Esther did not know that. She said, fine, this is nice. I'm a queen now. All great. Okay. But then she was came, Esther, came into, into the king's court in, in, in that way. But even when she became a queen, as powerful as she was as the queen, Esther could meet the king only if he invited her into his presence. The law stated that anyone who entered the king's presence without invitation would be put to death unless the king intervened. Now, at such a time as this, Haman the second most powerful man in the kingdom organized a king's decree to destroy the Jews. He made the king issue a decree to destroy all the Jews on the 13th of a particular month. It was to be a massacre of Jews. It was to be an extermination of the Jews. Now, let's turn to the book of Esther. Chapter 4. I've given you a, a, a kind of a background. Okay, now let's turn to Esther chapter 4 and I'll read verses 1 to 5. Chapter 4 of Esther, verses 1 to 5. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, that is the plan, the decree that was issued to destroy the Jews, 
he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hadash, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So here is Esther in the palace. The decree has gone that all the Jews should be abolished, and she has no clue about it. She was still enjoying her spa treatment. She probably had a pedicure also now. Everything was going fine for her. And suddenly she, why are all these guys in sackcloth and ashes? What's happening? Okay, Mordecai, her uncle is also in sackcloth. Okay, okay, give him new clothes. No, 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 no. And then she said, okay, what's happening? I want to know why. Move on. Verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hattach and gave him command for Mordecai. Verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one for whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go to the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do you think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded. Remember, till this point of time, Esther did not do anything for her people. Like many people of God, they do nothing. Esther did nothing. And then this situation arises. But now her faithfulness to her people was rekindled. If you read chapters 1 and 2, you will see that. Esther never even revealed that she was a Jew. She had hoodwinked the king with her beauty. And nobody did a history check on her. Where does she come from? Who is she? What's her tribe? Okay. So nobody knew that she was a Jew. But now, there was this inner longing for her people. A faithfulness to her people. And that was rekindled. And so she was prepared to represent them in front of the king. It could have cost her her life. But she was prepared to lose it so that the Jews might have a chance to live. Reminds me of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus was prepared to lose his life so that you and I could live. And he lost it. So that it could actually happen, that you and I could live. In Esther's case, she didn't have to sacrifice her life, but she was prepared to do so. And as the story continues, the Jews were saved, the anti-Jew plotters were hanged, and Esther became a powerful person in King Ahasuerus' kingdom. Now if you go to chapter 9 and verse, read verse 32, you will see that Queen Esther started issuing decrees. 
Verse 32 says, So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim. And it was written in the book. So now even the king's, the king didn't have to issue a decree. Esther was now issuing decrees. That is how powerful she became. What's the message for us? Esther's faithfulness saved her people, saved the people of God, and placed them in positions of power. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness will bring you to position of power. We don't have to cry and say, that, oh, there are no Christians in power, there are no born-again Christians in any place of authority. The whole political system is corrupt all over the world. Incorrigible, there's nothing we can do. Here is a person who staked her life. She could have been killed. But she became as powerful as the king. And you could go on and on and on. But then we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we quietly sitting in our jobs just seeking to serve ourselves? Are we there for ourselves only? Or are we there for a God-appointed time? A time to speak up. A time to stand for the truth. A time to defend something and everything that God loves. When you see something that's happening that you know is wrong, and God doesn't like wrong, are you going to stand up and say, that's not the way it needs to be done? Or are you going to say, not my business. There is somebody else who's going to come there and say, that's got to be corrected. About uh, a couple of months back, uh, oh, let me say this, a couple of years now, we have been having a new IT program uh, to take care of. It's a, it's a, it's a student management uh, system. Uh, I call it the HAMS, I call it the SHAM. Uh, it's a health academic management system. Now, it was created, sad to say, by some guys in Bangalore. Okay? Now, we know IT hub in India is Bangalore. These guys have come and they have created something. And it is a mess. It is a total mess. Simple things have been made complex. Okay? All kinds of misrepresentation is taking place. Security has been breached like anything. And so we had staff members meeting with these representatives from Bangalore who were trying to tell us that we didn't know anything about computers. Okay, and they were trying to teach us. So I got up and I started firing off some questions because I was teased off. Okay. So I started firing off some questions. And I'm happy to say, the girl who was presenting the thing to us, she started crying. And then my colleagues came up to me and said, my admin people and all of them, because the meeting, actually they, they closed it. Because uh, she, the two people there said they are not going to continue if I keep talking like this. I said, that's okay with me. I said, I'm asking relevant questions. These are the questions which everybody needs to be asking. And I'm, so my husband calls me up and said, why were you so hard on these people? I said, listen, I've been here for the last 15 years and I've built up a reputation. And I've built up a reputation that it's not just about me, but Indians are hardworking, we are honest, we are decent, we do a job well. These people come here and in two months they have completely ruined the reputation of Indians. Now people think in our institute that Indians are cheats. Because for this program, our institute paid them 700,000 riyals. I said, you give me 70,000 riyals, I'll find out on YouTube how to do this one and I will do it. <laughs> I said, I'm in the wrong business. Teaching is a bad business. We get nothing. I said, these are my people, people from India. And they are coming and spoiling the reputation of India like nothing. You are all now talking that Indians are bad. Indians are cheaters. Indians are out to make money. I said, it is my business to stand up there and talk for those Indians who are in the institute, who have struggled all these years to show that we are capable people, we can stand with anybody, and we can be the best we can be. 
You see, that's what you need to do at your, at your workplace, uh, places. Is it time for you to stand up for the truth? Esther stood at the right time. She was there for that particular season. Maybe you are there in your office for that particular reason. If it is time for you to stand up for the truth, stand up for the truth. If it means your head is on the chopping block, let it be on the chopping block. Because Esther's head was saved, so will yours. Okay, so it's as simple as that. And that's why we, we learn about faithfulness. Be faithful to God. God takes care of everything else. Okay, you are not putting yourself in a tough position at all. If you are faithful. And as, as I said, we could go on about many other people. Talk about Joseph, young man, faithful. Talk about Timothy, New Testament, young man, faithful. But I, I'm not going to talk about them today. We don't have the time. So let me end. Today we are called to demonstrate faithfulness in the midst of faithlessness. The call is the same for all of us. The young, the not so young, the not so old, and the old. The call is the same. For the people of God, faithfulness is not an option. It is a mandatory requirement all the time. Now let me close with an expanded version of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. But without faith, that is, being faithful and demonstrating faithfulness always, it is impossible to please him, that is God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, meaning that he is an all-powerful living God, and that he, that is God, is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Shall we turn to God? Take a moment to commit that we will choose to practice faithfulness and be men and women of faith. Trusting God and God alone, day after day, whatever be the situation around us. Let us stand to our feet. Close your eyes. Just remember what you heard about another forgotten commandment of faithfulness. We heard about last, about one hour, about Ruth, Daniel, Esther. Other examples were given. God has called us as His children. Time and again, we heard about faithfulness of our God. Our God is faithful. Everyone used to sing. When we compare ourselves, how we are faithful, where we are faithful, first of all, how we faithful to our God. How do you say that? How do you prove it? Are we faithful in our home to our spouses, as the children, to our parents, or to our children? It is possible only when you trust in God. Our God is faithful God. Because of His faithfulness, we are how we are living. We know it. Let us take a moment to thank the faithfulness of our God in our life. We may be unfaithful in many situations and the circumstances. We will simply say that we are humans. Taking that as an excuse, we are humans, we are humans. We became and behaved unfaithful, which is wrong. Even if it extends to, it is a sin. 
let us ask God, let us feel yourself sorry for your unfaithfulness and ask God for forgiveness. Remember when and where you became unfaithful. Ask God for His forgiveness. Ask God for His mercy. Today, we have to make a decision. We should learn to say no to sin. No to faith, unfaithfulness. God has called each and every one of us, given us the position, keeping us in this land, to prove that we are His children. We are Christians. Christians are the faithful people. That should be our testimony in our life. Pray. Pray a moment to yourself. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the wonderful word, the powerful word that you have spoken to each and every one of us through your servant. Father, we thank you. This is the day that you made it possible, and we are blessed to hear your word. Father, once again, we pray, and we thank you for your servant. Lord, let more of your anointing, more of your revelation, Lord, in his life, O Father, so that you will be a blessing for us in the days to come. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of us because we are privileged to hear your powerful word. And also, the Lord, it is a reminder for us. It is a warning for us. And it is an encouragement for us that you want us to be faithful. Even though thousand times we say that you are faithful, even we don't able to say that we are faithful unto you. Father, we are very sorry about it. Forgive us. Lord, give us the grace. Lord, fill us, give us this grace and give us your power. Lord, to stand in every situation. Lord, that to prove to this world, we are faithful servants. We are faithful workers. We are faithful husbands. We are faithful children. Lord, the people know that Christians are faithful. We thank you, Lord. Let the church be faithful unto you. To serve you in every area, every way that you want us to be. As you are keeping us as a bread of life fellowship in this land, let this church shine like a star. Light to this place so that the world will know that we are your children, full of faithful children of your God, our God, our Father. We thank you. Thank you once again for accepting our prayers. As we are going to leave, let us carry this word and meditate on this word, meditate on these characters, and learn and to become behave like this, your children of Father. Bless this day. This will be a day of rejoicing and glorifying your name. In Jesus' most exalted name we pray. Let us share the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.